may be seated. There's been a theme through our singing uh, this morning, and that is because it leads us to our, the theme of our sermon. After taking a couple of weeks off for Palm Sunday and Easter, we're back to our study in the book of Psalms. This morning, we'll be dealing with Psalm 116. You'll turn your Bibles to the 116th Psalm. I'll be reading the whole psalm, all 19 verses. Hear then the word of the Lord. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me. The tears of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You've loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again so much for a time together with your people in your word, and we pray your blessing upon it. Again, we ask that the Holy Spirit be our teacher today, and that the Holy Spirit would enable us to see the truth of your word, to understand it, uh, and then give us grace to apply it to our hearts as our needs may become evident as we study this portion of your holy and inspired word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the the Bible is a very personal book. Uh, That's why some people are uncomfortable uh, reading the Bible or studying the Bible. It's just too personal for them. You know, you can't read uh, very far in the Bible with an open mind and a teachable heart without it confronting you with some very personal matters. Uh, And rather than deal with those personal matters, some people just avoid it and just don't read what the Bible says. Now, those of us who preach and teach from the Bible have to make decisions sometimes about how personal we want to make it. You can teach and preach from the Bible in a rather abstract way. You can talk about the Bible without making any real personal application 
from the Bible. You can recount a lot of Bible stories. Talk a lot about things that happened in the Bible without making any relevant connection to our lives today. Now those of us who preach and teach on a regular basis I need to remember that we're not to take the place of the Holy Spirit. Even when we try to make the Bible personal, it is his job to make the real application. Uh, to open your eyes to see the truth of his word. To open your minds so you can understand the message. To open your hearts so you can apply the text to your life. That's what we pray for, isn't it? Before every sermon. We pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to understand it, to glean from it what we need and to apply it to our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit then who takes the Bible and really makes it personal to our lives. Now, that's a, for somebody like me, that's a very liberating reality. My job is to preach and to teach. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take what is proclaimed and taught and apply it to your hearts and to your lives. You know, the application of the sermon is the most difficult part for me and for most preachers uh, that I know. Uh, the questions I try to ask myself throughout the week are, how does this text apply to our lives? How does this message from this particular part of the Bible apply to us here at North Point? How can I make this text relevant and useful to those who will hear me explain it? Now, ultimately, even though I may try to find out all kind of ways to make it relevant as I can, it's the Holy Spirit who always takes it and applies it to our hearts. But you know, there are some texts of the Bible that are just more personal by nature than others. In, in Psalm 116, I believe, is one of those personal texts. You know why it's personal? To me, it's personal because it talks about love. I don't know anything more personal than love, do you? Whether it's love for your spouse, love for your children, love for your parents, love for some other special person in your life. Love is a very personal matter. And Psalm 116 is about our love for God. Now, that's just about as personal as it gets. This this psalm begins with a personal testimony. The psalmist in verse 1 where he says, I love the Lord. That's what the psalmist says. I love the Lord. Now, I could begin this sermon in a very personal way. Asking you that question. Do you? Do you love the Lord? Can you make that same testimony with the same confidence that the psalmist makes it here in verse 1? Can you declare, I love the Lord? And if your answer to that question is yes, there are two other questions I would put before you. One is why? Why do you love him? And the other question is, how do you know? What evidence is there in your life that you do? 
I start there this morning because that's the way Psalm 116 unfolds. He begins by making that word of personal testimony in verse 1 saying, I love the Lord. And then he tells us why he does. Then he gives us the evidence, the proof in his life that he does. You can see it unfolds that way because of the first five words in the text. He says, I love the Lord because. That's the why. And then he goes on later to tell us the evidence or how he knows. So that's what we're going to look at today. Just those two things. The reason we have to love God and the evidence in our lives that we do. So first, uh, the reasons that this psalmist gives anyway. There are any number of reasons, of course, why we should love God, but he gives us three in particular in this psalm. Three that were particularly meaningful to him. Uh, he affirms that he loves God and he tells us why. Three reasons. One is because of God's concern for us. God, God is concerned about me and God is concerned about you. Uh, you know, God's not like the the deist describe him, you know, the watchmaker kind of God who just kind of made the world, wound it up, now lets it unwind on its own without being personally involved in the affairs of this world that he has made. Aloof, detached, unconcerned about the details of life. No, God is very much concerned about the details of life. He's very con- much concerned about the details of this world that he has made. And that means God is very much concerned about your life and God is very much concerned about my life well how do we know that one of the ways we know it is what the psalmist says in the text it's because he hears our prayers when we call out to him so what the psalmist says verses 1 and 2 I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me, You see, one of the reasons we have to, to, to love God is because he is concerned about us. And he's so concerned about us that he listens to us when we cry out to him with our voice and we make supplication to him. It says even that he inclines his ear to us. It shows that God is a very active listener. In fact, the Hebrew there indicates that when God inclines his ear to us as though he were leaning down so he can hear carefully what we're saying. There's nothing wrong with God's hearing. It's just an image to show us how attentive God is to the cries of his people. How he longs to hear what we bring to him in prayer and in supplication, he inclines his ear to us so he doesn't miss a word. You know, listening does show concern. Some of us are better listeners than others. But if you're trying to tell someone something and they don't seem to be listening, you get the idea that they may not be very concerned about you or concerned about what you're trying 
to say. And if you get the idea that they really don't want to listen, they're not really concerned, then you may decide it's just not worth it and not say much of anything of any significance anymore. You know, there are many marriages, unfortunately, that kind of spiral down into that circumstance. One spouse doesn't feel like the other spouse ever listens. So that spouse concludes that the other spouse is not concerned about them or what they have to say. And so they just begin to withdraw. And they say less and less. But you know, if you feel like someone is really listening, someone's really concerned about you and about what you have to say, then that encourages more conversation and communication, doesn't it? And that's how the psalmist reacts here in the text. He says in verse 2, Because the Lord has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. He's like, I know the Lord listens. I know the Lord hears. The Lord inclines his ear to me, and therefore I'm going to keep praying to him. As long as I live, I'm going to continue to call upon him. And the psalmist knew that he could call upon the Lord even when he's in dire straits or difficult circumstances. Look at verse 3 and 4 where he says, The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. He's painting just about as sad a picture as he could paint. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, Then, in the midst of that circumstance, I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, he said, save my life. You see, he knew even in the depths of despair, even in circumstances that were dark and foreboding, that the Lord would still hear him. And he could cry out to the Lord no matter what his situation was. As we say today, the psalmist knew that God would be there for him. And he could call upon the Lord, the Lord would show his concern by listening to him. Another reason the psalmist gives us to love God is because of his character. How many times have we come back to that? How important is the character of God and knowing who he is over and over in our study of the Psalms, just like over and over in our study of any part of the Bible. It seems like we always come back how important it is to know who God is. And the more you know God, the more you're able to to live for him in the way that he calls upon you uh, to live. You know, even Jesus said that was a a primary part of his ministry. He said, I came to show you the Father. One of the reasons Jesus came was so we would understand better who God the Father is. And all the, the way through the Bible, there are aspects of the character of God that are held out for us as reasons for our faith and obedience. You cannot separate your life on a daily basis from your understanding of who God is. Well, here the psalmist identifies three specific attributes of God as reasons why he loves God. What does he say in verse 5? Gracious is the Lord and righteous. 
Yes, our God is compassionate. There he mentions that God is gracious, God is righteous, and God is compassionate. The writer holds up God's grace, God's righteousness, and God's compassion as motivations to love him. Now, there are many other attributes of God, and yet these are the three that were, at this particular time, it seems, most meaningful to this writer of this psalm. And he says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. God's grace, of course, points us to God's kindness and his goodness. God's righteousness to his justice and his holiness. God's uh, compassion to his mercy and his love. Yes, God is good. God always does what is right. God is love. He's gracious, righteous, and compassionate. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he is these things. I I would submit to you today that whatever circumstance you're facing in life, you can find some attribute or attributes of God that apply to whatever it is you're dealing with. Whether it be God's love, his loving kindness, compassion, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness, His benevolence, His holiness, His justice, His righteousness, His truth. No matter where it is you are in life, no matter what you're dealing with in life, the more you know who God is and the more you understand His attributes, then you can take those attributes and say, you know, I might be almost at the end of my road, but God is faithful. And He will never abandon me. He will never leave me. You know, I I may feel like I'm being taken advantage of. You know, my boss just takes advantage of me over and over again. People at work, they just use me. But you know, God is righteous. And I don't have to make sure everything is right here because one day God is going to make everything right. You see, there's an attribute of God that will apply to every situation or circumstance in your life. And because of that, we love him. That's what the psalmist says. I I love the Lord because he is righteous and because he is compassionate and because he is gracious. Then another reason uh, for the psalmist's gifts for loving God is because of his care. See, not only is God concerned about us, as we saw a moment ago, but also God cares for us. Listen to what he says in verses 6 through 8. The Lord preserves the simple... I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been up bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. What a wonderful picture. Psalmist gives us of God. He says, The Lord preserves the simple. We're the simple. Simple really are the humble. Those who depend upon the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. Those who walk with the Lord. Those are the kind of people more and more today who are derided in our culture. People who are just giving their lives to Him. Trusting Him with every detail of their lives. And yet, the psalmist says the Lord preserves them and takes care of them. When it says we, when we're brought low, still in verse 6... The Lord saves us. 
Verse 7, the Lord deals bountifully with us. Verse 8, the Lord rescues our souls from death. He keeps our tears from weeping, our feet from stumbling. God promises always to be with us. God cares for us. And so the psalmist gives these three reasons. He says, I love the Lord because. Why does he love him? He loves him because he is concerned about him. He hears him when he cries. He loves him because of his character, because of who he is, because of his righteousness, because of his compassion, because of his grace. He loves him because he cares for him, takes care of him, preserves him, watches over him. That's his testimony. And then he goes on, however, to give us the evidence of this love for God or how he knows that he does. You know, love never exists in a vacuum, does it? If you love someone, truly love someone, there will be evidence of that love for them. You will show it in specific ways. Now notice I didn't say you will say it. I said you will show it. You know, it's easy to say I love you. It's much more difficult to show that you do. Words sometimes are empty unless they are backed up by action. If you tell someone you love them, but you continually mistreat them, say bad things to them or about them, then they have good reason to question if you truly do. You see, the same is true in our relationship with God. One thing to say that we love God and quite another to show him that we do. You know, earlier in the sermon, I asked that very personal question. And that is, do you love God? And I asked the two follow-up questions. He said, yes. How do you know? How do you know the, that you do? What's the evidence of it? Now, there are many different ways that we can show that we love God. But again, in the psalm, the writer gives us three reasons. Now notice in verse 12, he asks this question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? That is, what can I do to show that I love God? He just said in verse 1, I love the Lord because. Now he says, now what is it that I can do? What can I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? How can I show that I love him? Three things. One is, Simply by worshiping him. Look, folks, one of the clearest ways you show that you love God is by having a desire to worship God. Look at what this text says in verses 13 and 14. Right after that question is asked in verse 12, he says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, it may be in the presence of his people. Those two verses are all about worship. Lifting up the cup of salvation, calling upon the name of the Lord, paying my vows to the Lord and doing it in the presence of the Lord's people. The question is asked in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And the answer is, I will worship him. It's real hard. Make an honest confession of faith in Christ. 
if you have no desire for worship, it's difficult, folks, to say that you are a Christian if you don't love the aspect of worship. It's impossible to declare that you love God and never participate in worship. Now we're all providentially hindered from coming to worship. We're all kept from doing what we want to do and what we know we need to do. But the key is, it's where you want to be. What you want to do. There must be in your heart this desire for worship. You see, worship is an absolutely essential part of being a Christian. Now, notice I said worship. I didn't say going to church. We would hope those two things are the same thing, wouldn't we? But some people just go to church for the sake of going to church. And we talk here about how important it is to come here, not just to be at church, but to come here to worship. Now, if you're just coming to come to church, this might get real old. The songs may be too slow. The sermon may be too long. If you come into worship, your focus isn't here but there. What a difference it makes. If you're coming to worship because you love the Lord, to show Him what you can render to Him for all His benefits to you, transforms. Your attitude toward worship. And another evidence of, of uh, love for God that the psalmist gives us here is, is the ability to trust God. That is, you show your love for God by trusting Him. You know, love and trust go hand in hand, don't they? The more you love someone and the more you know they love you, the more you're able to trust them. And, and the more you trust someone, the more you're able to love them. Trust comes from a loving, caring, secure relationship. And, and the more you have that kind of relationship with another person, the more you're able to trust them. The more you have that kind of relationship with God, the more you're able you are to trust him as well. And look at how the psalmist puts it in verse 15. Where he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Now, I've used that verse in funerals many times. But it loses much of its impact when it's taken out of its context. This, 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 that verse is in the midst of a song that talks about loving God. It's the one who loves God, who's able to trust God with every detail of your life, even in the most personal times of life, in the most times of the greatest crisis in life. I mentioned last Sunday on Easter Sunday. And there's one time of crisis in all of our lives. It's the moment of death, isn't it? We transition from one world to the next, from one existence to another. From everything that we've known to something completely brand new. 
I don't know of any other time in any of our lives where we really have to trust God than when we're about to close our eyes in death. Over the years, I've had the privilege, the opportunity of being with a number of people as they have prepared to die, as they've breathed their last. You can tell those who are trusting in the Lord, who, are, who love Him, who are resting in His everlasting arms, who understand that it, it's a precious thing, that the death of God's holy ones, godly ones, it's a precious thing in his eyes. It's a, it's a reflection of trust, isn't it? He, he talks about another aspect of trust in the next verse where he says, talks about a kind of a master-servant relationship. Oh, oh Lord, surely I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your handmaid. You've loosed my bonds. It's another area of life where it requires real trust. Any kind of master-servant Relationship involves trust. Doesn't it? And the Bible continually describes us in our relationship with God that way. Yes, we are His sons and His daughters. Yes, we are the children of God. But the Bible makes it clear we are His servants. He is our master. And, and to live properly in that relationship takes an element of trust. To trust that God is always going to tell us to do the right thing in the right way. That God is going to be a benevolent, good master to his servants who are faithful in carrying out what he has given them to do. There's this element of trust. Trust in the moment of death. Trust in the areas of life where we serve him. And then there's one more evidence. In the closing verses 17 through 19. And, and that is an evidence that we love God is, is a desire always to praise Him. We just talked about worship, the importance of worship. Praise is, of course, an important element of worship, but also it's something we do all the way through our lives, every moment of every day. Look at verses 17 and 18. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of his people. That's almost exactly the same as we saw earlier in verses 13 and 14. But then he adds in verse 19 this note of specific praise in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that praise is becoming to the upright. At the end of the book of Psalms, at the end of Psalm 150, the Bible says that we are to always praise the Lord. What do I take from that? Praise is, is absolutely important. We're to, we're to give thanks to God for all things. It's easy to praise God for the birth of a new baby. It's easy to praise God for the joyful, the happy, the wonderful things of life. It's, it's more difficult, isn't it, to, to give Him praise when we're really struggling, when a relationship is broken, 
when work is hard, when finances are tight, when children are rebellious. It's hard. It's hard to praise Him, and yet that is an evidence of our love for God. That no matter where He brings us, no matter where He takes us, we are able from the heart to praise Him, to know that He has a plan, He has a purpose for every part of it. And no matter where we are, we will praise Him for it. Those are just three evidences that the psalmist gives. Oh, there are many more. You can think of some, I'm sure, in your own life that the psalmist doesn't cover, but the the important thing is this, that when you say, I love the Lord, you're able to say, this is why I do. And that you're able to give evidence that you do. Here's the reason. Here's what I see in my life. Here's what I render to him. For all his benefits toward me. Now where does that come from? It comes from a a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the source of our love for for God. It's because he loved us. You were able to love him in return. You know, the Bible says, greater love has no man than this than one lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. You know, there's no question that he loved us, is there? There's clear evidence that he loves us. Loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And our love for him is in response to what he has done for us. So maybe I'll ask that question in conclusion this morning. Do you? Do you? Do you love the Lord? If so, why do you love him? What are the reasons? What do you see in him that draws you to love him? Is it his grace, his compassion, his righteousness? Is it his care for you? Is it the fact that he hears you? He's involved in your life? Certainly it must be. And what is there in your life that shows that you do what do you render to the Lord for all his benefits to you? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We love you and we love it. And we pray you would take it and apply it to our heart to give us grace today, to serve you faithfully and well, to love you, to know why we do, and to see the evidence of it in our lives every day. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.